Welcome to the Freshman Foundation Podcast, helping you make the jump from high school athletics to the collegiate level and beyond with your host, Michael Huber. Hey, everyone. It's Mike Huber, founder and CEO of the Freshman Foundation and certified mental performance consultant. If you're listening to this episode, then you're likely a student athlete or family member of one. Thank you for taking the time to listen. Hopefully you find our podcast valuable. Mental performance coaching allows young athletes to show up at their best every single day by conquering distractions, pressures, and mental roadblocks through evidence-based strategies. So let's talk. You can visit my website at michaelvsinvincenthuber.com to schedule a free strategy session. Let's see if mental performance coaching is a fit for your family. Enjoy this episode, and thank you again for listening. How is Kellen Lee helping professional baseball players to optimize their attention for success? Most baseball players admit that their sport is a mental battle that is constantly fought in the six inches between their ears. That applies at all levels of competitive baseball. However, the stakes are much different at the professional level. Pressure, distraction, and comparisons are significantly greater. A player's ability to efficiently direct his focus of attention is critical to success. My guest, Kellen Lee, is a mental skills coach for Major League Baseball's San Francisco Giants. He is also a former college baseball player for UC San Diego. In episode 33, Kellen shares how he helps young professional baseball players attend to what's most important on the field in order to optimize their performance. Professional baseball is a business with demands that extend well beyond the diamond. Kellen helps young men develop the self-sufficiency necessary to succeed in their profession. I'm excited for this conversation. Let's build your foundation with Kellen Lee. Hey, Kellen, how's it going? Good. Glad to be here and have this conversation. Uh, things are good. Thanks for coming on. I, I appreciate it. I think the last time that I saw you was at uh, graduation two years, John F. Kennedy University, the keynote speaker. Oh, Kellen shoot. Lee. Yeah, that was, that was <laughs> I think that might have been it since all of the, the craziness ensued in this world. I think that's really the last time we were in person because there hasn't I don't think there's been an ASP conference. It, it's really just been a, a lot yeah. of virtual stuff. So. Yeah, shoot, uh, JFK graduation. I think that was the last time. <laughs> so for, for everyone listening, tell us about the kind of typical day, if there is one, of a mental performance coach in the major leagues. Yeah, I think uh, I, I get that question quite often, and I, and, I, and I answer it the same way every time. So I think there's like three different versions of the job. I think there's an off-season version, there's a spring training version, and then there's mm. the season version. So uh, currently, as we speak, um, I'm in off-season mode. Um, <clears throat> it's really, honestly, a lot of downtime. It's really great taking advantage of the family time. Uh, occasional Zoom calls here, or calls with players there, uh, creating content, really uh, building out a plan for the next year, really, is what mm-hmm. I'm, I'm really tapped out with it now. Um, trying to collaborate with all the staff members, with the sports medicine, the, the strength and conditioning mm-hmm. staff, uh, making sure we're all on the same page uh, as we hit the ground running. Um, so really, the 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 off season is a time to to recoup, regenerate, um, but also just set ourselves up for success uh, going into spring training. And then, you know, tr- the the spring training day in the life, uh, it's a crazy time. It's a lot mm-hmm. of fun. Uh, the days are long. Uh, it's really four or five weeks of madness of of baseball. A minor league and major league players running around, uh, staff members getting their work done, uh, but really. Anytime from my from my lens, from my perspective, the mental skills world. Uh, anytime the players or coaches are at the at the facility, uh, we're there as well. Uh, whether that's um, do, doing their physical prep work in the weight room or on the field, uh, you know, with the rehab guys, the guys returning to play from an injury. Uh, just really finding any time, any way to support uh, anything that's going on, whether they're in the cage or on the field, uh, in the bullpen, uh, what have you. Um, we're we're there. We're there, ready to. To do our thing and then typically what we'll try to do is uh, within the framework of the schedule uh, time permitting uh, we'll try to do some presentations we'll, we'll have small group stuff we'll have some big group stuff uh, whether it's broken into 
uh, by position, you know, position players and pitchers, or we'll, mm -hmm. um, you know, sometimes some things we've done in the past are, uh, they'll have like station work throughout the course of the day and there'll just be a mental skills station and we'll, you know, have the same, you know, five to 10 minute conversation 15 different times with all the different groups. So we just try to find a creative way to, to integrate into the schedule uh, to make sure that we're sharing the content that we know is helpful for these players to, you know, reach the level of performance that we're shooting for. So uh, spring training is really just a time to, to really forge those relationships uh, to again, to set that really good foundation going into mm -hmm. the season um, but also get out some good content um, uh, to our players and coaches. And, and, I, and I will share this. Um, quite a bit of our work actually focuses on the coaches themselves. <clears throat> I would say the distribution is probably 50-50 in terms of work with players, work with coaches and staff. And I think it's really important. Um, and, and the reason I say that and I emphasize that is uh, the more the, the coaches can speak the language and we can coach the coaches on mm -hmm. how, to, how to share that message with our players the more consistent message they're going to hear. And ultimately in the long run, I think the, the result of that consistency is the, ado the adoption of the concepts, the application of the concepts, which ultimately is what we're shooting for. So sure. I, I, we can talk a little bit more about how we coach coaches, but I think it's really important how, on, on that aspect, especially during spring training, because it's really the only time that we're all together as an organization. Because at the end of spring training, we all disperse to our affiliates and we're kind of doing our own thing. And, really each affiliate's operating on their own. So spring training is a huge time uh, to, to make sure that we're, we're dialed in mm -hmm. on the same page. Yeah. There's a lot, there's a lot happening there. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and obviously it, it varies um, in terms of the receptivity of the people that you're working with, whether it's coaches or players uh, and the game of baseball developmentally, you know, player development is, is evolving very rapidly and there's a very, there's a very high emphasis on player development. So can you just talk about like the receptivity from coaches and players in terms of what you, what you see? Yeah, I think um, I'm incredibly fortunate uh, with, with the San Francisco giants. Um, we have such an incredible and receptive and coachable group of coaches. Mm -hmm. uh, specifically, I start with the coaches. Um, everyone's really supportive of what we bring to the table. In fact, we're um, in the conversation when it comes to, you know, rolling out development plans um, mm -hmm. yeah, rolling out like practice schedules and, and designing practice schedules where, you know, we're, we're used as a resource, mm -hmm. um, in a, in a variety of different ways, which I think is really cool from the, from the top down leadership, uh, you know, all the way down to the on-field coaches, to the, to the support staff of the athletic trainers and the, and the strength coaches and the, the biomechanics and the sports scientists. Like we're really trying to integrate as mm -hmm. much as we can with as many people as we can, um, just to find ways to help them accomplish their goals. So, mm -hmm. and then on the player side, um, there's definitely a wide range in terms of receptivity or, you know, sure. apprehension or open-mindedness, but really like, um, one thing I, I will say that, uh, if I do come across, um, you know, players or even coaches as well, that are a little bit more skeptical, they're a little, you know, un, mm -hmm. you know, unwilling to jump right in, so to speak. Um, sometimes I just lean into that skepticism and I just invite mm -hmm. it and, and I, and I have a conversation around where do the skepticism comes from? Is it an experience that they had in the past? Is it a preconceived notion of what my work really is? Mm -hmm. Um, and then ultimately really ask them a very simple question of how much they believe the game is mental. And, and generally speaking, that'll generate a really great conversation moving forward of, you know, mo mo most people, most people in the game, coaches and players alike, will say 70 to 80 percent something you know somewhere in that range and and very often do i follow up with well how much time do you spend training it and there's a huge <laughs> yep. discrepancy generally and you know so i come in you know sometimes jokingly and i'll go well my job is to kind of close that gap a little bit so that you're not training it much less than uh you know that you believe the game is mental and i'll tell you this like you know my job title is a mental skills coach but I would never, ever, ever suggest that someone trains the for, trains the mental side of their game 80% of the time that they train their game. Like I would never submit right. that because the physical side is so incredibly important. But if you're not training it at all, maybe you should shift the, your mm -hmm. like how you manage your, your training time. So like that that's another conversation that I have quite often. If again, if someone's skeptical, but for the most part, like I come, I, I run into a, quite a few open-minded individuals, players and coaches as well, as well. And, um, it, which is really encouraging from my side because I have to spend less time selling and more time mm -hmm. doing the work, uh, which is really cool. So 
Um, yeah. And then really quickly, like to, to finish off the conversation of like what the season looks like after spring training. So again, at the end of spring training, um, we all disperse, we go out, go out to the affiliates. Um, and then from there, my life, my life looks a lot different. So I could be on the road up to 14 to 21 days a month, um, visiting our, all of our affiliates. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we have affiliates all across the country, mostly on the east, uh, mostly on the West coast, uh, San Jose, California, Eugene, uh, Oregon, uh, Sacramento, California, but then uh, one of our teams is in Richmond, Virginia, which is a little bit tougher since I'm on the West Coast uh, for travel. But anyway, um, I'll spend time on the road visiting those teams uh, and those players that we built those relationships with in spring mm-hmm. training. And then, um, you know, I'll typically each trip is four to five days. Um, I'll catch the games on the, on the schedule, but also try to work in, you know, at least one or two presentations with the groups, whether it's, again, pitchers or, or position players mm-hmm. to try to get smaller groups and then uh, come back home and 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 find uh, other ways to stay connected with those players and coaches over the phone yeah. or Zoom and stuff like that. So sure, it's really busy, um, but, you know, it's it's awesome. It's a great grind and um, it's really rewarding work to see the, the progression and the development of those players. So before we started recording, you mentioned, you know, sort of, being involved with some of the rookie camp and things like that before spring training. How, would you say that there's more exposure to mental skills training for the rookie classes coming in, whether it's at the high school level or at the college level before they get to professional baseball? You know, it's, it's really, it's really, it's all of the, all of the spectrum, all over the board where we get players who, have never even considered the mental side mm-hmm. of the game. And then we get players who are like, oh yeah, like I worked with someone for, you know, a while on the mental side of the game. So it's really hard to see, mm-hmm. but I will say that like in though in like within the framework of those of those rookie camps or those development camps that we do have during the offseason occasionally, mm-hmm. they're the the players tend to be in in like receiving mode like give me everything i can i can possibly take whether it's from the strength and conditioning side whether it's from the sports science side you know the sports medicine side like mental skills side like it doesn't really matter like if they believe that it can help them reach the goal of getting to getting and staying in the big leagues Mm -hmm. they're more than likely going to give us an ear and their attention because in that in that setting it's very development focused it's education focused it's it's really uh, focus, they're focusing on themselves on how they can possibly just get any inch of advantage they could possibly get. Yep. And if they, tr- if they believe that the mental game is going to allow them to get there, they're going to give us that, that attention. So I will say like that, that's a really great point that you bring up in, in those, like those camps that are intended for development that we can easily integrate an educational component. I found a lot of success in the, in those settings, in those contexts, because, mm-hmm the players are in receiving mode. They just, they want it. They're in that state because again, if you shift the the conversation to more in the season, the season is, is incredibly hard to, at times to teach. I have found creative ways to teach yes. the skills during the season, Yeah, but it's just different in the off season or in a camp setting where that's all they're doing is just focusing on development and performance is the ultimate goal, but it's not in the forefront of their mind like it is during the season. Mm-hmm guards are the guards are down a little bit you're not grinding as much you're not as much caught up in what's going on day to day and so you've got a little bit of a blank slate i i find it really interesting i i was reading a paper i think it was a thesis paper and i'm gonna get into the weeds a little bit but about mental skills training in baseball professional baseball and the study found or the paper found that performance didn't increase but longevity did so what did that mean the takeaway was the people who did mental skills training were able to endure the adversity and stay in the system longer, which is basically what you're describing, right? You got guys who are coming in who's saying like, I want to be here and I want to be here for as long as possible. So give me everything that you can because I want to be able to go through the ups and downs and sustain it longer than, than maybe somebody else who's not doing it. Does that sound like what you're seeing? Yeah. You know, I think, um, you know, one of the things that we, we talk about quite often or I talk about with players um, quite a bit is just this idea of like coachability, but also mm-hmm. just like this, this ongoing pursuit of improvement. And it really doesn't matter 
what level you're at, doesn't matter how well you performed or how poor you've performed, your, your, your goal should never change of just continuous improvement. Mm -hmm. And I would say that someone who is conscious about that pursuit of continuous improvement is likely going to, I would, I would guess, stay in the game longer because if someone, let's just say hypothetically reaches a level of performance and they have the thought of, Oh, well, you know, I've kind of made, I've reached my potential quote unquote, Mm -hmm they're likely not going to put the effort forth to continue moving up the ladder, continuing developing their skills. And I think that's a time where some, some coaching is really is critical in that moment. So anytime I can help a player adopt this idea or this, you know, this concept of continuous improvement and growth, Mm -hmm. they're like, I would bet that they would likely stay in the game longer. Again, there's so many circumstances that would lead them to, for to 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 be released or or let go or their career ending like there's a lot of a lot of factors that are outside um that we can also discuss too but mm-hmm. ultimately i think the the best chance of the, for them to stay in the game longer is just to adopt that that continuous growth mindset you know yep absolutely and and you know it's not always the easiest thing to do right especially with athletes the longer they've been at it the more conditioned, programmed, whatever you want to call it, you know, they've set in their thinking patterns. And so, especially with highly successful athletes, right? This is the way they've succeeded. Now, perhaps you're trying to break that pattern and saying, it's not about your performance on the field. It's about getting better self-oriented versus other oriented. It's not always the easiest thing to do as a mental performance coach, right? It makes sense intellectually, but like it doesn't register sometimes, or it takes a lot of work to get them to buy into that. Yeah, I think like that dynamic of like self versus others versus team, like that that's really hard um, because mm-hmm. like the fact of the matter is the the guy whose locker is three down from you that has the same position of you, like you guys are actually competing for a job, like uh, like the not metaphorically speaking, but actually right. literally speaking, like that is someone who it put, could potentially get in your way of keeping your job. So that thought, I, I help I help normalize that thought for players and, and almost bring it up to them and, and almost acknowledge the elephant in the room of like, that is really easy to start thinking about how well the other dude who plays your position is playing. Like that is very, very easy. But at the end of the day, I ask him a very simple question. Is that helpful? Is that helpful to go through that thought process? And though it's a, you know, closed ended question, if you ask any counseling (laughs) skills guru, they're going to say, don't ask a closed ended question, but think about how powerful that answer is. Uh If they, if they, let's just, let's just, let's play devil's advocate for a second. If they answer yes. Yeah. That's helpful for me to focus on what that other person is doing. I will grab a bag of popcorn. I would love to hear that explanation. Right. Because how is the how is the next question that comes comes to mind for me? How? How is expand. it helpful? Tell me more. Like, <laughs> like how could that possibly be helpful for you and your career to divert your attention and effort and energy over to that other human being who happens to be playing the same position of you? How is that helpful for your career? And it tends to be very powerful conversation. Again, something as very simple as is that helpful for you can be can be a huge game changer because if they're honest, I would say most people would say no. And then again, <clears throat> like you said, that follow-up question is like, all right, well, how is it not helpful first? Let's let's tease out how it's not felt helpful. Let's just not leave it at the surface and just like, okay, acknowledge right. that it's not helpful. Let's break it down. How is it not helpful? And then shift there like, okay, mm-hmm. what would be helpful for you to lock in on, bring, use your resources, your attention, and your effort on to make sure that you're progressing in your career because, and again, that might on the surface, that whole conversation, that whole dialogue might sound quote unquote selfish to some people, but at the end of the day, like they're trying to reach a a level of their career where they're trying to be, you know, financially free. They're trying to reach that, you know, that elite status of being Mm -hmm. in the major leagues. You can't really fault them for that. And at, at the same time, I would argue that theoretically, if, both let's just say we're looking at two players and they play the same position if they truly uh invest in themselves and they focus on what they need to be focusing on and they use the resources accordingly mm-hmm. i would say they would probably both get better as a byproduct of that so 
ultimately, if we're trying to play a team game, which in the big leagues, the game is wins and losses. Like that's what it's all about. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what we're shooting for is to for have the that have that that competition with right. and for people for other people to make sure that you're both moving in the direction you want to go and and without this this like that ego operating under the surface of like I hope he doesn't do well or I hope he doesn't progress it, it's not about that it's about right. deciding what you should focus on that's helpful for you mm-hmm. to reach the level that you would like to get to um, because I would argue if you don't use your your resource of attention effectively you're probably not going to reach the level that you would hope to reach so so what are some of the tools or strategies or skills that you're teaching to really optimize that attention oh man where where to start um (laughs) i think like what first of all like I'll run you through like my, in terms of my process of how I, how I Mm -hmm. try to best meet the need of the player. So um, for the most part, if we have this conversation and I would lead out with something like what's helpful to focus on, like something around the the idea of attention, the the idea of focus. So I, we, Mm -hmm. we lead out with that to, to start like getting the player talking. And then from there, I first, first and foremost, ask what they already do to gauge you know, to what level of sophistication are they, are they dialed in their process? What, mm-hmm. what guideposts are they using to, 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 to direct their attention? And then from there, I'll identify, you know, either deficiencies or efficiencies that I can highlight for them to either continue doing with their efficiencies or improve upon with their deficiencies. So um, some specific strategies, again, I'm, I'm kind of dancing around it, but some specific strategies that I found really helpful is really just helping them understand that their first and foremost at foundational level, like their attention is something that will either help them or harm them in performance. Either it, your mind either works for you or against you, period. So we get to choose. And with that choice, we need to determine what's helpful, what's not. Again, back to that, that, that fundamental idea and then help them establish a process to be as consistent as possible to focus on the things that are most helpful for them to be successful in the moment. And that could look like establishing a routine that could be look that look that look could look like breathing exercises that could look mm-hmm. like focal points that could look like some, you know, helpful self-talk for them just to like mm-hmm. give themselves a cue of some type um, uh, that could be you know, a, a lot of different things, but ultimately help them identify that the consistency of their attention is going to lead to the consistency of their performance period. And, um, but first and foremost, they need to clearly identify Mm -hmm. and rationalize out what is helpful for me to, to attend to, or to focus on, uh, to make sure that I'm as consistent as possible with my physical skill set that I have. Okay. Yeah, that's, that's great. So I'm, I, I guess I'm curious, you know, because the, theme of this podcast is is it's about the transition from high school to college but we can apply that in so many different ways right so what are some of the biggest challenges you see with your incoming players right whether they're coming out of college program or whether they're coming internationally obviously maybe a different set of issues or from high school like what are the biggest issues that you see for those people coming in who are having a hard time adapting to the new environment yeah, this is this is a great question. I think um, I honestly, when I when I first started this work, um, I didn't know the answer to that question either. Mm-hmm. And so what I did was I just I leveraged the experience of some of our more veteran minor league players who have who have been been through it a little bit. And mm-hmm. um, you know, when I visit the the double A and the triple A guys, I, I really lean on those folks. Mm-hmm. Uh, to help educate me on what the younger players might need. And the most consistent answer that I got from, from all the players that I, that I talked to just casually or, you know, informally, just, you know, hey, I got a question for you, you know, shoot it out to them. They said self-sufficiency. And what they meant by that was um, as you, as you progress through the minor leagues, you have more and more time to that you get to choose what you do to prepare for games or get to, you know, choose what you do to, to recover after games. And, you know, it's AKA it's much less structured than a high school or college program would be. Mm -hmm. So when you, when you enter professional baseball, 
sure you have a schedule and you have, you know, this time is batting practice and this time is the game time, but there's so much time throughout the course of the day that's unaccounted for where players are essentially given the, the sense of ownership of what do I do with this time? Like, how do I manage this time Mm -hmm. in a way that's going to be efficient? And that's, that also includes some of the physical prep work that players might do before game. There's a lot of, lot of flexibility and a lot of choices that are, that our players are given, at least, at, at least how we operate as an organization where they have times where they have to be there, but in terms of what they do from a defensive standpoint or what they do in the cage to prep, to do their prep work, a lot of it's left up to them. Mm-hmm. And sometimes what I've seen after after asking some of the older players and then going to like observe this happen, sometimes some of the younger players are like, well, I don't really know what I need to do or I don't know how to use this time. So what, what I suggest to you know high school or college coaches is to uh, essentially at times give players more freedom to, to choose and put them in that situation earlier where they mm-hmm. have to take a little bit more ownership of their prep work or what they do to get themselves ready for a game or a practice or whatever that looks like. So that when they get to pro ball, it's not the first time they've ever done it because um, you know, the way we see it is they're, they're adults and they, we want them to take ownership of their career because it's their career. It's not ours. We're providing resources for them. And of course we will encourage and suggest and highly recommend a lot of things. But at the end of the day, what they choose to do is up to them. Right. And also like the next level of that conversation where I, at least where I think I fit into this puzzle is what they choose to do is up to them and what they choose to focus on while they do what they do is up to them as well. And having helping them identify what's most important to focus on while they do the things they do is kind of where I fit in as well. So long winded answer of saying like the better, the better people are at, managing their time, identifying, like building that, that like robust, genuine self-awareness, identifying what they need or what they don't sure. need um, is a critical skill because that's going to help them be more self, self, self-sufficient. Um, and again, like I, I can go and I go in another rabbit hole about like self-awareness, but, um, and I think that that absolutely plays a factor here. Too. Oh, it's a huge, yeah, it's a, it's a huge part. So I, I want to connect the dots on that because I think it's extremely important, right? So in, an earlier podcast, I had Lindsay Hamilton on from IMG. Awesome, right? Lindsay's awesome. And I asked her, I said, Lindsay, I said, like, what do you see? Like, what do you think is the sort of the the resource or the skill or the skill that you think that those transitioning from a place like IMG to college, like, like what's the most important thing? And she's like, resourcefulness, which is basically what you described, right? Like, how do I find what I need to be successful? Right. And so the question I want to ask is, because I think this is really important, and I think a lot of young people struggle with it. How, how do you find the, the, the players that you're working with, how are they about asking questions, asking for help? Like, like is that, I hypothesize it to be a struggle. Like, how do you see that? Oh man, just, just like the the answer in terms of um, their exposure to mental skills, like it's all just over the all map. Place. It's all over the map. Like there are guys that are just so genuinely curious about everything, where they want to know the reasons why, the reasons mm. how. What are you talking about? Tell me more. What's the research say? But then there's some guys who are like, I don't really care about all that stuff. Just tell me what I need to know so I can do what I need to do, mm-hmm. which is fine. At the same time. I think curiosity is is something I try to spark and 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 explain how important it can be to both our coaches and our players because ultimately curiosity uh it, like to me like curiosity combats complacency because if you're curious about something you're likely yeah. going to try to learn more about it you're going to you know you're going to read mm-hmm. something you're going to watch something you're going to listen to something right and complacency by definition is just like doing be like being okay with where you are right now and curiosity mm-hmm. i would say like combats that process of complacency so mm-hmm. whether it's curiosity about um you know my work or you know the the work of another professional within your organization mm-hmm. i think there's a lot of value in 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 talking about and discussing how important curiosity is so mm-hmm. um I, in terms of like how i approach my job like i try to create the the environment and the space that you know 
I want them to ask questions because if like to me, if like they're asking questions, they're at least thinking about the stuff. And if they're thinking about the stuff, it's more likely that they'll take ownership of what we're talking about, which definitely, man, like, I know there's that, that, there's that cliche of like, you want to coach yourself out of a job, but like, it's true. Like if I can coach these players well enough to where they are focusing on the right thing at the right time, they're consistent with their thoughts. They're, you know, handling adversity really well. That's phenomenal. Like that's what I want yeah, for them. Of course. Um, because going back to your conver- the conversation earlier, that's going to create longevity for them. And, you know, I, it might be cheesy or corny to say, but like I, sometimes I'll tell players, I'm like, dude, like I want to see you in the big leagues for a long time. Like that would make me more happy than anything is mm. to see you like do what you want to do. And, you know, they'll, they'll like, yeah, man, that's really cool. Some guys will laugh at it, but like, that's so genuine where I'm, where I'm coming from of like, I, I really do wish the best for all the players that I, that I have contact yeah. with because I, I just, I get to know them as people. I get to know their, their personal lives, which is really cool to, to see and, Mm-hmm. And just like hear where they're from and hear their story and, and, and just to, to be a piece of that puzzle of getting them to the major leagues and, and helping mm-hmm. them stay there. Like that's, that's going to be a really uh, a cool experience to see that like happen over and over. And, and, and I'm, I'm totally genuine when I say like, it would make me incredibly happy and, and so fulfilled to see that process happen. Like again and again with all the players that I come in contact with. Yeah. So, so how is your experience as a baseball player, right? influenced how you got into the field and how does it influence your work? Yeah. Um, <laughs> for, for all the listeners, uh, I'll just give you a quick snapshot of my background. So I, I played, I played, uh, I played baseball in college at UC San Diego, go Tritons. And uh, our coach did a really incredible job of, in, of incorporating mental game principles into our team. Um, and I was incredibly curious back to that word curious. It's incredibly curious as, as I, as I know, I reached a level of performance that I never thought was possible for myself. Um, so I realized that this whole sports psychology, mental performance thing was a thing. And, and I'm like, you know what, this is, this is where I want to go with it. So um, in terms of how I got in the field, like, or where, like kind of my, my, my career path, um, when I first started grad school, um, I actually wasn't sure what I wanted to do. I, I wasn't sure if I wanted to go into coaching, you know, as, as a former catcher, we, we tend to be quasi coaches on the field as, uh, as it is. <laughs> um, so coaching was always interesting. Um, but, mm. um, I realized that it wasn't for me. Like I, I thought about it for a second and I realized that I just wanted to per- pursue the mental performance work. Um, and at that time I, I went to, a, a the ABCA conference, the, the national baseball coaches conference, um, in Anaheim that year, I believe it was 2012. And, uh, again, I was just about to start grad school, fresh out of undergrad. Like I, I really didn't know whether I wanted, what, what exactly I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. I happened to stumble into a session, uh, where someone was, uh, one of the mental skills coaches for the Atlanta Braves at the time. And he was talking about his job, talking about what he did. And, and I'm, I remember sitting there as a really young, eager graduate student. I'm like, holy cow, like, that's a job. That's a thing. Like, that's exactly where I want to go. I'm a baseball guy. Like, so ever since then I was really, uh, you know, stubborn and and really on that same track. Like that's exactly what I want to do. So Mm -hmm. ultimately, um, when, when I can clash my two passions of baseball and mental performance together, it's really, um, a perfect, perfect storm, so to speak, in terms of a great job situation for myself. And, um, I mean, shoot, hanging around a baseball field and, and a facility and a stadium all day long is pretty awesome. Um, you know, some people think it's crazy that, you know, you could spend nine hours at a field for a three hour game. But like that's just part of the part of the gig. And it's uh, it's really awesome to to be uh, in in that in that world, in that space, um, you know, hanging out in the dugout, going out, going out and shagging balls in the outfield mm-hmm. or you know, occasionally jumping in in the cage and, and helping feed a machine. Like that's just, that's so fun for me. And, um, you know, but ultimately like at the end of the day, like all of those things that I try to do on the field, the on-field support in my mind helps the players, but also helps the coaches because it frees them up to, to provide that feedback that I think is really valuable to the players. So mm-hmm. um, I get out there, I get in the mix on the field a little bit um, as a former player. And, you know, some people in our field may not be as comfortable with that as, as, as I am, which right. is fine. And that's a personal choice of mine, but um, I find that there, you can add a lot of value in supporting um, some of that on-field stuff. 
A hundred percent. And and I'm I'm glad I'm glad you brought that up because I was thinking about it. I, I spent a couple of years with a high school baseball program and I was a baseball player in high school. I played baseball for 15 years after college and like I'm a baseball guy. Like I would describe myself the same way. And the thing I loved about working with a team was being in the dugout, being able to sort of lend an ear or give a small piece of advice or put my arm around somebody and talk about something in the moment that could really help them right there, right? And, and to have that opportunity and to be there, like there's there's really nothing like it, right? Like when I hear you talk about it, I go like, I wish that I could spend nine hours in a baseball field every day <laughs> doing my job because it's just, I it just doesn't, I'm sure it's hard and I'm sure it's draining and all that, but like, I'm sure when you're in those moments, it doesn't really seem like, doesn't seem like work. No, like, you know, <laughs> being able to, you know, uh, I'll, I'll share this story. So um, with our with our San Jose affiliate, um, we we were fortunate when we won a championship this year in the minor leagues, which was awesome. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I remember very distinctly the game one of the, the playoff series. I was uh, I was sitting on the railing with one of our players and he, he wasn't in the lineup that day. Um, and he just turned to me. He's like, Kellen, like why is it that playoff games are so like low scoring and it feels like there's more pressure and it's like super tense. Like he's like, I can't really describe it, but it's like really tense around here. And, and I, of course I had initial thoughts and I was like, no, what, like, what do you think though? Like what, why do you, why would you ask the question? Like what makes you think about asking that question? He's like, I really have no idea. Like the game just feels different. And I'm like, well, is it different? And he's like, well, no, not really. I'm like, okay. But like, what, like, let's think from a performance standpoint, like, why does it feel different? And he's like, well, you know, there, there's a championship on the line. Like every pitch could, you know, change the game. And I'm like, you're right. But every other game is the same way. And like, so then what we, we ended up having a longer conversation. We talked about like the, the, the impact of anxiety and performance. We started mm -hmm. talking about reinterpreting anxiety as excitement. And we talked, I gave him a couple skills that, and strategies to like, if he was to get in the game, you know, that day or the next day, like he'd just be more equipped. And I remember it was so awesome. The next day he was in the lineup and um, he came, he had a great first at bat. I think he like, you know, line drive single or something like that. And he came in the dugout and like beelined it straight for me. He's like, I was standing in the box and I was thinking about our conversation yesterday. And he's like, I felt so excited. I was confident and I was like so locked in. And he's like, I just, I had to come tell you because it was such an impactful conversation. So like having those little moments of, you know, sometimes you're, yeah. you're, you happen to be just watching a game and just having a, a, a casual conversation, but it actually can make an impact on the field. And it was so cool to see. And, you know, I, I don't, I don't live for that recognition, but it's like a little reminder for me that, you know, what I'm doing is, is pretty awesome. And I have to mm -hmm. remind myself of that sometimes um, you know, especially when the days get long and, and I'm on the road mm -hmm. and I'm traveling, like when I, when I talk to, talk to a buddy of mine and they ask me like, you know, what do you do for a job? And I explain it. They're like, that sounds like the coolest thing ever. And, and, <laughs> and like, I know that deep down, but sometimes I have to remind myself <clears throat> and little stories like that, uh, help, uh, bring that to the surface. But, um, yeah, hanging out in the dugout, having a conversation sometimes about, absolutely nothing related right. to the game well that's that's baseball that's, dugouts in general talking about baseball. the most ridiculous nonsense ever that's what makes baseball fun <laughs> i mean shoot like like uh, again one of our stadiums like the moon sets at, at night and one of the players was talking about how cool the moon looked one day and like that like that's kind of the things that we just talk about in the dugout but um at the end of the day like it's such a reward uh, to be able to just to be a small part piece of their yeah. of their career puzzle, yeah. and like I said, but that conversation in the playoff game was really cool to to see that work just come to fruition for him, and then be for him to be able to recognize that, and um, you know, hopefully be able to repeat that in the future would be awesome. Yeah, I think there's something about this work that's really unique in that sense because I, I feel those same things too. That like that feeling that reward of helping somebody get to where they want to go, but also like not necessarily feeling the desire to take credit for it, nor, nor we're, I mean, it's, it's, it's like just to be a piece of that. Right. And yeah. to watch them go off and, and ride off into the sunset, knowing that you help them, but it's not about me. It's not about you. It's about them. Right. Which is awesome. It's just a really cool, 
place to be because what we do, I mean, for you, you know, listen, and I talked, I've talked about this some with people, listen, it's a business, right? What you do is a business. It's about wins and losses. It's about a return on investment in terms of drafting players, paying their salaries, all those things, right? But for us, it's not as much about wins and losses as, as it is about the players and the on-field staff, right? The coaches, you know, we're there to help them be better, whether they win or lose, does it affect us? Sure, it does. But does it really matter as much? Not as much, right? And that's a unique position to be in as well. Yeah, I think like <clears throat> dancing between like, again, what we're talking about results versus process here yeah. um, is, is, is a really important dynamic because again, again, especially in the, in the context of professional sports, um, like <laughs> results absolutely matter. And I would be naive to say to them, to you, to anyone that, ah, forget about them. It's not important. <laughs> right. But here's the key. Even though the results and the stats and, you know, the wins and losses are important, mm-hmm. that's not what we should be like bringing our attention to. And that's the dynamic of whether we focus on results or not, they're still going to remain important. But again, back to the conversation of what's helpful and what's not, for the most part, for the majority of the time, focusing on results is not helpful for your performance. So that's another conversation when I'm really, when I, perhaps when I'm getting pushback about like a wins are everything or stats are everything or my results are everything, my batting average is everything. I'm like, you're not entirely inaccurate here. Like Mm. that's not, I'm not saying you're wrong. What I'm saying is, whether you focus on them or not, they're always going to remain at the same importance. And actually, in fact, you could argue that if you focus on them, you actually create a more importance on for them yes. for yourself. So like, w- again, what's helpful? What's helpful? Is it creating more of an importance around your results or is it creating more of an emphasis on a focus on your process? I don't know. Like you tell me. And when you break it down that way, People mm. tend to understand like, yeah, oh yeah, like if I focus on winning the game or if I focus on, you know, from a pitching standpoint, you know, getting seven innings with 10Ks, like all those right. result-oriented thoughts, those perhaps might not be helpful in the moment. To have a goal and to have a, to have a desired outcome, that's a different conversation because you're thinking about that ahead of time. But when yeah. you're in the midst of competition, you're in the midst of competing and you're in the midst of a game, that stuff's less important. Um, let, let me rephrase it's as important, but it's less important to focus on. Yes. That's, that's the key, right? So like that, that's, that's another like next level conversation I'll have with a guy is like, mm-hmm. no matter what your results are going to matter. Like I, I can't, I can't right. like with, with any good conscious tell you otherwise. Right. But what I'm throwing out to you is what you focus on might have a, might have an impact of what happens. Yeah. I love the way you've described that. I never, I've, I've never really thought about it that way consciously, but that's something I've just learned about communicating about that topic because it comes up all the time, regardless of an athlete's level, right? Whether high school, college, professional, whatever, it comes up all the time, but the words that you use, the way you describe it matters, right? Because what you just said, there's, hey, these things are equally as important, but if I put all my attention on the result, they're going to distort it. And you're going to put more pressure on yourself when you don't need to. Yeah, it's there. Accept it, but put the emphasis on what you can control versus what you can't control. Exactly. Exactly. Because here's another piece of that control. The control aspect is you can't control how important the the results are to other people either. Mm. Because here's the thing. You're going to like, especially within the context of, of professional sports. Sure. Every organization is going to value certain statistics more so than others. And you know, perhaps though, like, let's just say an organization values first pitch strikes for a, for a pitcher. If, if a pitcher becomes obsessed with first pitch strikes, it adds more importance to them, which is fine. But at the same time, like what you're, what you focus on to create a higher first pitch strike percentage is more important than the actual thought of thinking about first pitch strikes. Right. So like, that's just a really simplistic example, but sure. Um, that's another piece of this of you're going to be in, a, you're going to be in situations as a player where an organization or your team perhaps values a result oriented statistic or mm-hmm. metric 
very highly, which is great. I think there there should be some guideposts and some and some and some metrics that you value really mm-hmm. very highly, and we definitely have those as well. But from a performance standpoint, if I'm the performer, I need to take an inventory of what I need to attend to to make sure that I give myself the best chance of achieving those metrics. Right. Yeah, and, and so for me as a practitioner, what you just described, that's why I value mindfulness so highly on the scale of what's important because if you're not aware of where you're putting your attention, you're not aware of what you're focusing on or what's going on in the moment, it's going to be really hard to make the adjustments that you need to make to be performing at your best. Totally. right. I think a lot of people get distracted and caught up in stuff that doesn't really matter in the moment and that's detracting from their performance. So how do we narrow it down to that, you know, moment of like, Hey, what's going on right now? Okay. I I recognize the way I feel and the way I'm thinking and like, I don't like it. So let's do something about it versus like letting it overwhelm us. And I think that that's something I try to teach all of the athletes I work with, with varying degrees of success, but it does make sense intellectually to them. They just practicing it sometimes a little bit harder. Um, I'm curious, I want to go back to your playing, your playing age. So like when you were going from high school to college, what was the biggest challenge for you? Well, I actually, um, I, I went high school to junior college to, to four year okay. college. So I made, I made essentially two transitions, if you will. <laughs> um, and, um, I'll tell you this, I, I, I remember, when I came out of high school, I had, a, I was a very, very, very good student, not your typical junior college um, student. Mm-hmm. I, I, the only reason I went to junior college was to continue playing baseball. Um, so with that said, I have honestly, one of the challenges I had to deal with going from high school to junior college was my ego, to be honest, hmm. because I, I never thought in a million years I would end up at a junior college. I had over a 4.0 GPA. I got into great four-year schools, but I just wanted to continue playing baseball. And so I had to kind of get like push my ego aside a little bit because, Mm. and and I'll tell, I'll tell people, I'll tell the listeners, I'll tell anyone, a parent, a a family member, like I don't care who it is. Junior college was the best thing that ever happened to me. It is an incredible uh, experience. Um, I got to, I got to stay at home for a couple more years. I got to build relationships with my younger siblings that I other was otherwise wouldn't have done. Um, if I left home, I got a lot of my, my general ed out of the way and I got bigger, stronger and faster from an athletic standpoint. And I got a lot of playing time and, and I got a great playing experience from a, from a baseball standpoint. And I learned a lot. And in fact, like to this day, I'll give him a shout out. Buck Taylor is the best catching coach I ever had. And he was my, he was my coach in junior college. So um, I'll, I'll tell you, like, that was a huge challenge for me personally of being able to put my ego aside a little bit. Cause mm-hmm. I worked really hard in high school. I, I had great grades. I, I, I was a student first, no doubt. Um, and, and that was really challenging for me, but also like, I think, um, from, uh, from like a, the high school to junior college standpoint, um, I definitely had a little bit more on my plate, I, I brought, I got a job when I was in junior college. So that was another mm-hmm. challenge I had to, to navigate around. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that was pretty tough in terms of just being able to manage my time. But then I think my, my transition from junior college to UC San Diego, the four-year school, um, uh, was, I think the, the biggest th- thing for me there was, I didn't know how to study, to be honest, from like an academic standpoint. Uh, like, I went through that. I went through that uh, when I went to college. Yeah. Like, freshman it, year was like a whole, like it was a total overhaul of the way I did things. Cause, cause like I said, I was a great student in high school and, and if I'm completely honest and, and transparent, like I didn't really work that hard. Like it was, came easy to me, you know, like of yeah. course I put my work in and, and, and I, and I couldn't get by with nothing, but I didn't know to actually how to study. And, and then mm. when I got to junior college, it was kind of the same, a lot of the same from an academic standpoint, where it came pretty easy to me. But when I got to UCSD, it was incredibly challenging. Mm-hmm. The classes were much harder. It was, I was a fish, a small fish in a big pond. And, um, it was really hard for me. So with that said, like the, the freedom that I had being away from home for the first time was really hard. And I had to mm-hmm. really, um, build that self-sufficiency. Like I, like I mentioned earlier, mm-hmm. um, but also just teach myself, you know, how to, how to uh, obtain knowledge and, and learn and, and, and mm-hmm. be a successful person in the classroom because, you know, without that, I couldn't play baseball. So, um, also with that said, like, 
um, from a playing standpoint, what was really challenging for me was um, I, when I first got there, I didn't perform as well as I would hoped. And I had to deal with a lot of adversity when I first got there. So, um, you know, I, again, baseball had really come relatively easy to me. School had come relatively easy to me. And it was the first time that I was really challenged um, academically and athletically. So um, it was, it was, it was definitely a lot of moving parts for me. Um, but how I dealt with that is I leaned on my teammates, I leaned on my mm-hmm. coaches, I leaned on my parents, you know, I was, I was a half hour away from home, so I could go home if I needed to. Um, but they were a phone call away mm-hmm. and, um, yeah, I just, I, I really leaned on the experiences of my, of my, you know, the leaders on my team, on the older players, we had a great, you know, team chemistry on our team. Mm-hmm. We're always, always looking out for each other, but really leaning on those individuals who had gone through similar stuff, um, to, to make sure that I have the, I'm just, I'm coping with, with the challenges in in an effective manner. Um, but really I leaned on my coaches. My coaches were really incredible for me, really influential in my, in my life to this day. I stay in touch with a lot of them. That's awesome. Um, yeah, I, I think like just the being on my own for the first time and, and, you know, having that, the, the heightened sense of responsibility was, was pretty challenging, but Um, what I tell people is, you know, first and foremost, start with your, your time management. If you can dial in your time and and use it to your advantage, you'll experience a lot less stress on yourself when it comes to academic and athletic, uh, careers. And, um, ultimately it's going to give you a great skill set after graduation as well. Yeah. And, And the way I usually talk to, you know, young athletes about that is, is like, you know, what do you value, right? Like what's most important to you? What are your priorities? Like, if you want to go out and socialize or you want to have a good time, that's cool. Like that's up to you, but understand there's a consequence to that. Right. So that when you come back and tell me you're not performing at the level you want to perform, but how did you spend your time? Usually there's no, you know, there's no, there's no disconnect there. It's either I'm doing everything I should be doing and I'm performing well, or like I'm doing all this other stuff that's not really focused on my performance and I'm not getting the performance that I want. So don't be surprised. And I think that that, a lot of times resonates with them. They're like, oh, you know, like, you know, he's not telling me what to do, but you need to figure it out because otherwise you're not going to get the results that you want. So I guess the other question, the next uh, couple more questions, the the follow-up to that is what was it like when you finished college and you stopped playing baseball? That was, uh, it was weird to be honest (laughs) at first. Um, So uh, my coach brought me on staff. I worked for, on staff for him for a couple of years um, after I graduated when I was in grad school. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was still around the game, which I think made it less, a little less weird where I was on staff. I was interacting with players. I was still within the culture and, the, and the, like the framework of baseball. And it was still really important to me. Um, but at the same time, being f- a, a fresh graduate and fresh off a playing career, um, at times it was tough to watch mm-hmm. others play sure. from like a really intimate level. Right? Yeah. I, I knew these guys, I, I saw them mm-hmm. and I saw a lot of myself in them. Yeah. And I had the thought many times I could still do this. I could still do this. I could still do this to the point where fast forward two years after I graduated, I ended up going to play a year of independent professional baseball because I got the itch. I had to go play again. I needed to. And um, it just happened to work out in my grad school calendar where I had a summer where I didn't have a lot going on. So I'm like, shoot, I'm just going to go out. So I played in a really small league in New Mexico and it was a great experience. I loved it. Um, And then at the same time, at the end of that season um, in 2013, I believe, yeah, 2013, I like, it was weird. Like I knew that was it for me. Like I knew like I had, I had, I had played, I got the itch. I scratched the itch. It was closure. And, yeah, I mean, I, I played really well. I had a great team. I, I love my teammates. It was such an awesome experience. Um, I definitely wasn't doing it for the money. That's for sure. <laughs> I could just imagine. Uh, um, but like, I I knew like, okay, this is this is time. And and I think it was, you know, I was a little bit older. I was you know twenty four, twenty five at the time, and and I'm like, you know, I'm not going to make it to the big, big leagues. Like, I know that's not the case anymore. Yeah. So. And I was close to graduating with my master's degree. So I was on my way to, to starting that career. And I'm like, you know, I think, I think I'm good. Like, and it was, it was mm-hmm. kind of like, it was a very subjective feeling of being satisfied or like complete with my playing career. And mm-hmm. it, it was, it was a very interesting experience. I can't really describe it too well, but I just knew that I was done and, and really just shift my focus on, all right, so how am I going to get right. 
to my my career goal again i had gone to that conference and i'm like i saw that guy and i'm like that's what i want to do right so what's next like how do i move forward so i i really was able to accept the fact that my career was done and over and that's okay and i was good with it um and i really just shifted to you know how can i make a difference in this field um and i guess it probably helped being around sports and, and being around athletes a lot because you know i just I, I relate well and those they're my people they're my people so yeah um, that probably made it a little bit more easy, easier for me, but I think it was really the biggest thing for me to, to take that step forward and into that transition process was just the acceptance that it was done and there's nothing I can do mm-hmm. to, to change that process. And going, you know, going back to being accepting of what we can control, like my, my playing career and the decisions I made mm-hmm. as a younger player, they're, they're done and over mm-hmm. with, and I can't change those. And yeah. not to say that I regret them at all. I just, you know, there's things that, I just, I can't, I can't change the past. So ultimately in order to influence the future, I had to move on and accept it. And I think that was really a powerful moment in my, in my life where I'm like, all right, this is career time. This is, you know, I got to put my big boy pants on and move on. And, and I was okay with it. Like I was good with it. Yeah. And I think that acceptance really set me up for success moving forward. Yeah. And and I'm sure it doesn't hurt that, like you said, you had something to look forward to, right? Something that you were really passionate about pursuing so that you could pick up and move on to the next endeavor. I think for a lot of people, when they're forced out and they don't really know what they want to do, that's where it gets hard from a mental health standpoint, you know, depression and just sort of the confusion that goes with like, how do I make sense of like, I don't have this anymore in my life. But when you've got something you want to do, you know, you're, you're going for it, right? You're taking that effort and energy you put into baseball. Now you're putting it into the next, the next thing, which is, which is amazing that you're, you're there. And now you're, now you're in the game, you know, every day, (laughs) you know, funny how the world works. But, um, last question is, and I ask this to everybody, or I try to, if you had to give one piece of advice to a young athlete, like what would be that? Like one thing that you would share with them? One piece of advice for a young athlete, I would say continue to learn, expand your horizons, mm-hmm. and find way, find creative ways to stay energized to, con- to do what you're doing. And what I mean by that, and there's a couple different thoughts in there, so like continue learning, um, that, in- that includes your craft, that includes about yourself. That includes about your skill set um, and and just finding creative ways to like stay energized. If you play sports for long enough, it's very, very, very easy to fall into the trap of doing things because you've been doing it in the same way. Mm-hmm. And therefore, what the impact on attention when you go through, like the way I put it, going through the motions is action without it, uh, without attention. And it's very easy for someone who's been doing something or like a drill or an exercise for the, like a long time just to go through the motions because they're just not thinking about it. So find creative ways to like challenge yourself. And again, we're getting into like stepping out to your comfort zone, but it's a different way of saying that and just find creative ways to continue learning what you do and, and like find energy, mm-hmm. like keep yourself energized um, and doing what you're doing because it's very, very easy to fall into that trap. So um, whether you want to be a professional or a collegiate athlete or a high school athlete, it really doesn't matter. Um, the same principles apply, find creative ways to stay energized and continue learning and, and developing your craft and yourself and just learn about yourself because, mm-hmm. um, you last longer than your playing career, no matter, no matter what you do, <laughs> you last longer than your That's... playing career. So keep that in mind. And self-awareness yeah. is always relevant and always applicable. So the more practice you have building your self-awareness and understanding yourself, the better, more efficient human being you'll be in the long run. It's a great way to end. It's awesome. Thanks so much, Kellen. I appreciate you coming on the podcast. It was great to see you. Yeah, it was virtually, great face to face. And it was a great conversation. I always love to hear what you have to say. So thanks so much. Have a great and good luck this season. And hopefully I'll we'll talk soon. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on and uh, thanks for listening, everybody. So, what was your biggest takeaway from my conversation with Kellen Lee? For me, it's that the demands of professional baseball require young players to invest time to improve their mental game. Most clubs have a team of mental skills professionals like Kellen for this reason. 
My suggestion to sports parents is to help your young athletes become more aware of the importance of training the mental game. Making it clear that professional athletes and their teams prioritize it could be a great starting point. I want to thank Kellen for his kind generosity and the wisdom he shared with the Freshman Foundation community. You can follow Kellen on Instagram at Kellen underscore Lee 25 and on Twitter at Mentally Perform. To learn more about how mental performance coaching can help your mind work for you rather than against you, visit michaelvhuber.com. Thank you for listening. We'll see you back in two weeks for episode 34 with my guest, Ryan Lasko of Rutgers University Baseball. Mike Huber is the founder and owner of Follow the Ball Coaching, located in Fairhaven, New Jersey. He is a mental performance coach and business advisor dedicated to serving athletes just like you reach their full potential on and off the court. The Freshman Foundation is all about helping you get to the next level. For more information, follow along on Instagram at The Freshman Foundation. Please subscribe. Give us a like on iTunes, Spotify, leave a review, tell a friend. Most importantly, come back in two weeks, ready to get better.